I'm Meredith. And I'm Robin. And this is My TV Family. Today is part three of our ATX Festival recap. Welcome back. This is our third and final episode about ATX Festival. We want to give a shout out to the many people who made this weekend a huge hit. A big thanks to all the organizers, volunteers, and behind-the-scenes folks that made it possible. Thanks, guys. And to start us off, we have some wonderful interviews to share today. First up was with Sue Obeidy, the Hollywood Bureau Director for MPAC, which stands for Muslim Public Affairs Council. Um, yes, I attended Sue's panel, which was fantastic. It was entitled Resistance, Inclusion, and Creating Authentic Muslim Narratives. Um, it was one of the first panels that I got to go to, and then... Um, you know, just hung out with the panelists for a bit afterwards. We rode together in a van. Um, no big was, deal. <laughs> it was pretty exciting. Um, I um, ride in um, SUVs with celebs on the regular, so <laughs> no big deal for me. Lots of VIPs. <laughs> um, uh, so in addition to Sue, um, who was um, just really great to talk to, um, the panel itself consisted of um, Karina Adley McKenzie, who's the showrunner for Roswell, um, Mohammed Omer, who was in Rami, which I think you know that I was obsessed with and love, um, Nigella Mokmin, who um, was the creator and writer of a movie called Jin, which was the talk of South by Southwest. It's really interesting to hear about um, the early experiences of the panelists and their longing to see stories that they could relate to on TV. Um, and then fast forward to now when they are having um, the opportunity to create their own narratives for um, film and television. Um, the um, other thing that was really interesting was a conversation about um, the way to tell personal stories with the hopes of reaching a broader audience and whether reaching a broader audience should be the goal um, or just telling your own story um, and whether that can be kind of a means to an end of itself. Yeah. Um, some of the stories that they told were just absolutely eye-opening and heartbreaking. Um, and then shifting gears to after the panel, um, I talked with Sue one-on-one -on -one and asked her to give a little more information about MPAC and the work that they do um, in consulting and advising and getting more um, Muslim people into writers' rooms, behind the camera, and also providing um, consultation to um, writers themselves to make sure that they're um, portraying Muslims um, appropriately. So um, I asked her to speak a little bit more about um, something she said during the panel, which was um, when the political climate is absolutely toxic. Um, which it is. Yes. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Um, so when the, um, kind of political climate is horrifying and scary, the silver lining is that some great art can come from it. And that's where MPAC comes in. Interesting. Um, yeah. So they have had a huge outpouring of requests for their help. Um, and Sue talked specifically about some shows that they've consulted on and talent that they've been able to get into the room, which was really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, did they give examples of shows that Impact has consulted on? Meredith, you know I asked. I'm proud of you. I'm <laughs> glad you did. 
I was like, so you've consulted on some shows. Tell us who's doing it right. <laughs> um, so Sue said that they've consulted on Grey's Anatomy, which I know is a program that you I know it and is. love. Mm-hmm. Um, and also The Bold Type, um, which we both watch um, and is my current Tuesday night fave. Yeah. Um, so I loved hearing about that. It's really cool when a show that you watch is doing it right and to know that there are people out there who um, make it their mission to um, get these portrayals right. Definitely. Um, So I want to share with you a bit of my interview with Sue where we talk about the um, mission of impact. Okay, Sue, so we are just wrapping up your impact panel at ATX Fest, and I thought it was super interesting how you talked about um, the Bureau's role as an arm of impact and how um, you're winning over hearts and thoughts and minds and that how Hollywood is the most important and biggest industry. Um, I feel like the crowd really um, nodded along and really loved hearing that part about your work. So being that powerful um, bureau, can you talk about what success looks like for your department? What would let you retire and say, we've done a good job, you don't need us anymore? Thank you for that question, Robin. That is an excellent question, actually. We are never going to be done, basically. Uh, Muslims and all other marginalized communities, it will continue to be an uphill battle. We will absolutely see success but success will come and go. We will continue to work hard. When we will feel successful is when that level of authenticity is sustained, where we're seeing the industry portray marginalized communities, including Muslims, as as authentically and, and fairly as possible. When the industry stops portraying us and others by our most extreme elements, that is when we will attain success. But the success, like I said, will come and go. And ultimately, we will need to end with the following, that there there is a time in, in, in America when we're not talking about Muslim narratives or narratives about Muslims. They just become narratives. They just become stories. And we're back with more interviews. Next up is with some cast members from Atypical, which is a show I think both of us watched. Yes, love it. Uh, Waiting for it to come back. Yes. Um, Atypical follows Sam, a high schooler on the autism spectrum, navigating school, love, and family. So season three of Atypical is coming to Netflix this fall. I'm so excited. Me too. Um, So we got to sit down with Bridget Lundy-Payne, who plays Casey, Sam's sister. And who I'm obsessed with. Samesies. Um, she was lovely in person. Um, Amy Okuda, who plays Sam's therapist, Julia. Um, Jenna Boyd, who plays Sam's on-again, off-again love interest. Um, and buttoned-up type A personality, Paige. Yeah, love her too. Yeah. And Fival Stewart, who is new to the cast this season, um, but she plays Izzy, who's an emerging love interest for Casey. First up is our interview with Bridget Lundy-Payne and Fival Stewart. Then you'll hear our interview with Amy Okuda and Jenna Boyd. And finally, our interview with Mary Rolick, the executive producer of Atypical. You may also hear an unfamiliar voice in the interview, and that is our new friend Les from the podcast The TV Dudes. And he joined us for our interviews with the cast of Atypical. Atypical. 
Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to sit down with us. We really appreciate it. Um, we wanted to um, start out by asking um, you, Bridget, about the kind of finding the balance between um, treating Sam as like a true sibling relationship, but also the sensitivity. Um, I feel like um, Casey's reputation is like, I will murder anyone who messes with him, yeah. but also like, I'm gonna punch you like a true sister. Yeah, um, I have a little brother, um, and even though Sam's Casey's old, older brother, um, I still pull so much from my relationship with my brother. And I think like, they really are just siblings. Like the fact that he has autism doesn't have anything to do with their relationship at the end of the day. She would protect him no matter what. And like she loves him no matter what. And she will mess with him no matter what. And it's like, it's the same dynamic that siblings have all over, which is why I think it's so special and why the show is so special in a way is that it doesn't treat autism as like this like freaky thing that people don't know how to handle. It's just like very normalized. I love that. <laughs> can, you, can you both talk a little bit about what you first thought of your character when you first read uh, for the show, and and what happened to develop that into the, the rounded person that we see on screen? Yeah, um, well I watched season one, and then I came on season two, and then I realized that I was gonna be her friend. And I was very curious onto where the friendship was gonna go. And when I first read the script, I realized I was mean, very mean to her. And I, I was like, oh, maybe we're gonna be like enemies the whole time. And she's gonna come to the school and I'm gonna be like the bully of the school. And it turns out I was very surprised. <laughs> and I did not expect to be in a relationship or seeking one out with her. Um, so it was a very nice surprise coming on and having one perspective and then it being completely different than what I thought. That relationship has certainly evolved. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Mm -hmm, definitely. Yeah. And we've gotten to play with it a lot this season too. Yeah. And see where it's going to go. Mm -hmm. It's been so fun just to see where they, they take us. Because the writers are so smart on this show. Oh gosh, I know. They're so smart. In, in season one, where you're, you're having to balance, uh, I said, the the toughness to or being able to mess with your little brother because little brother's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> older brother versus being sensitive to him. Uh, was it an extra plate to spin, or was it an, an additional uh, difficulty to in, in terms of acting for your character to to be able to step into your own storylines more in season two and really go to the new school and, and have a relationship? It was interesting because for season one, I was pretty much all around the family all my scenes were and we were laughing because my first day at Clayton when we filmed there felt like my first day at a new <laughs> TV show. Like I was like, oh! And I felt so uncomfortable the whole day and I really didn't realize why until afterwards and I was like, oh, because Casey's out of her comfort zone. So I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm like, I'm just going to have to learn what this is just as Casey's going to learn what it is. What a cool thing to be able to draw from. That's amazing. Yeah, I love Casey. <laughs> we love her too. She's cool. yeah. um, can you guys talk a little more globally about what you hope people take away from the show? I think in terms of the representation that this show allows, 
I think all of us from Atypical just want people to feel okay with themselves. And if that's people from the autism community, if that's people from the queer community, if that's people who are like moms who feel really, really uncomfortable with their lives and just want to find some like normalcy and truth and comfort back in themselves, like we just want people to feel okay. And I think like that's a global truth that like that really is like all what we're looking for is like normalcy and love. Yeah. When you watch the show you can really relate. Anyone can really relate to it. If you're married, or single, or queer, like anyone I've talked to can watch the show and be like, dang, I really felt like I was being spoken for. Yeah. That's amazing. That was really deep ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you want to hit one more before I ask the tough question about what TV you guys are watching? Oh, cool. Um, so we love to ask um, all of the folks who've been interviewing at the festival, because this is a TV festival, um, what are you watching, what are you loving, what will you be binge watching on your flight home? I love the show Forever. I, I, I watched, oh, I watched so it. Good. I'm watching it again, actually. No so way, it's my really? third time watching it. Yeah, Forever is uh, my favorite show right now. <laughs> yeah, do you guys know of it? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> um, I'm just finished. Well, I'm, I'm not completely finished because I'm savoring it, but Killing Eve and uh, Sleabag. We were oh, just talking cool. about yeah. it. Incredible. Phoebe Waller-Bridge. It's no bias. <laughs> I've heard so many good things She's about cheap. Fleabag. It's like, like, it makes him my, I was watching with my partner and he was talking about how it like makes him like scared to write TV because he's a writer. So he was like, yeah. I can't do better than this. Yeah, it's pack it up, we're done here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Am I just supposed to go back to my projects now? Like, <laughs> wow, I have to watch um, the show. It'll but also, Ryan Murphy, I've been like on a Ryan Murphy kick and okay. I just finished Pose season one. I'm so excited oh. for season two. And I'm watching The category is? Oh my god, Billy Porter is so an icon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, Julie Porter and Pray Tell. Yeah, post season two is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I'm excited. And Tux Down, I think, was a trivia oh. question. What was that? Billy Porter's Tux Down. Oh uh, my god. It's a trivia night question. Oh, oh really? Another, like, not see that picture. <laughs> and the Met Gala with mm -hmm. the six yes. young men holding All him gold. on a pedestal. He's, I feel like he's just been waiting to be like appreciated. Where yeah. Is? Yes. That's awesome. Thank you so much for the time. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you. So I would love to um, start off by asking you about, we're going to just go right into it and talk about depictions of mental health on television. Um, so great. We'll just start with an easy one. Yeah, um, light, light question. We'll keep start it light. Morning. Happy it's Sunday really morning. Um, uh, but I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, and you as well. Who's going to hit you with the heavy dating question? Yeah. So hang yeah. on. Um, Q get dating, I get mental yep. health. Right. So can you talk to me about the importance of um, depicting mental health and mental health workers on television and what you feel that character um, says to the world? Um, well, 1,000% important, obviously, I think, I mean, also, like, just being a, a minority actress, like, diversity in general is very important to me, and so that includes neurodiversity and mental health and all of that in between, so, yeah, I think it's really important, and I love being part of a show that represents all types of diversity, not just, you know, neurodiversity and mental health and all that stuff, but, like, race like we have so many different looking people on our show and behind and in front of a camera and um, 
so yeah, I think it just like kind of goes into an umbrella of our show of depicting all kinds of people that don't really get the attention on TV, and I think that's really the core of what the show is about, which is really awesome. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. So this is less for the TV dudes. Jenna, can you talk a bit about your character and uh, the complexities of, of balancing storylines on the show? Uh, I can imagine how in some scenes it, there could be a tipping point for the audience. Like, uh, this is too harsh or too much. Mm -hmm. How do you find that line in, in your well, that's the thing is that I think sometimes even when I am reading stuff that's coming up or, you know, things in the script, it's easy for me to be like, oh, wow, I have to do a thing to, like, make that work. But that's what's so great about Paige is that it's all very real to her. And I think that's something we can all relate to is that our selfishness comes through in relationships. There's nothing like a relationship that will bring out, like, your selfishness. And I think that's what you see so much with Paige, and she just can't bring it in. Like, her heart is so on her sleeve. Um, and so I, I relate to that, where, like, certain relationships, like, as much as she tries to understand Sam and relate to Sam, she's never fully going to. Like, that's just the reality of what it is. Um, and Sam's selfishness sometimes gets in the way of their relationship, and hers often does too. And so, um, I think that that's actually a beautiful thing, though. Like neurotypical versus not, like still, there's the same issues in a relationship, and it doesn't really matter who is like who is what. Like it's just people's selfishness just gets in the way sometimes. Of course. Uh, that on the sleeveness, mm -hmm. did you feel that was in the character when you, when you first read the script, or was that something that developed over time where you decided this is going um, I think that's something that sort of came to me over time. Like, when I knew that I was going to be doing this, I had no idea for how long. Like, I thought maybe it was going to be one or two episodes. And so it was really me discovering her along with every episode. Um, but I did start to find that she just completely lacks that ability to kind of, like, the cool factor. She Like, it's just not there. Like, that filter is not there at all. Um, and that's something that I kind of love about her and that's kind of uh, endearing, I guess, or sometimes terrifying. But, uh, yeah, she's kind of just that unfiltered version of myself, really, like the unhinged, unfiltered version, you know? Which Thank is you so, for your candor. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, have I ever slit a penguin's throat on someone's lawn? No, but have I wanted to? Yeah, you know? So, like, it's just, um, it's been fun to find that and just play and, like, really get to have fun. That scene was amazing, and um, yeah, team page forever. Um, <laughs> can you guys talk a little bit about the casting process? Um, it was just like any other audition, right? Like you just get it and you go. But I will say, to this day, and um, when I read the script too, it's been a long time since I read something where I felt so much of everything. I read the script, I cried, I laughed, and I was like, this is so special. And, you know, we go on a ton of auditions where we're like, well, 
this isn't great, but at least I might get a job, you know? Right. There will be a way to unemployed. Right. Yeah. At least I'll get paid. But this was definitely not one of them. And I don't think I'm the only one that felt that way. Um, but yeah, I read for Robbie and Mary. And then I read again for Jennifer and Seth, who um, directed the pilot. And um, yeah, just. Uh, and who could know the roller coaster that your character was going to go on? I mean, they have put you through the ringer. They did, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The first season was quite a, quite a roller coaster. So, yeah, it's been fun. It's That's a fun great. ride, yeah. And how about you? Can you share your casting story? Yeah, I mean, you guys, like, sometimes for a role like this, I mean, I had no idea what it was going to look like. No idea at all. I, I, every episode, I kept expecting, like, this is where her character ends, <laughs> and it just, well, it just doesn't. Um, and but it was just one time reading with casting, and then I got a call a couple weeks later, and I was just like, wait, are, are they sure? Because I was so it, I just never thought that I would get cast to play something more fun that way, or just like the kind of quirky, kooky, or like I never thought I'd get the chance to do that. And so it's been really fun. Love that. Yeah. Um, we're getting the wrap up, but would you guys mind to share what you're watching currently? What are you going to be binging on the plane ride home? I'm loving Dead to Me right now. So good. Hard to I just finished When They See Us, and it's probably my favorite thing I've seen in years and years and Ooh, years. It's got goosebumps. unbelievable. It's so good. Mm. Thanks, ladies. This was Thank great. You. I appreciate it. Um, so let's jump right in. Can you um, talk to us a little bit about the small topic of um, the challenges of moving from a portrayal of an adolescent teenager on the spectrum to someone entering the world as a young adult, um, where typically we don't need as much from our parents, and kind of how that changes the dynamic for both the parents and the child? Sure. That's a huge Small question. Small questions. Huge question. Um, yeah, well, you mean specifically to Sam? Yeah. Yeah. This has been really great to explore, especially in a series where you have long form available to you to kind of tell that story because I think it's it's not nuanced and it's subtle and there are specific things. It's not like he's just jumping into a whole new world. Things change ever so slightly all the time. And I think having to navigate that as a person on the spectrum, even as a person who's not, is, mm -hmm. is hard, and we really get to explore that in this season, and um, Sam, we always try to make it from his character, so where is this character at, and what would his specific challenges be, or how would he navigate something that, you know, might be different from his normal everyday routine, so it's, you know, uh, did I answer that? Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, that's <laughs> yeah. great, and I love yeah. that you yeah. think it's like a fun, cool challenge, right? Yeah, like, it's great. Let's write it up. Yeah. Between season one and season two, uh, I know that there were some adjustments made for um, more neurotypical, uh, more actors with autism in the show and to address the concerns and criticisms. Where is the, where is the line where that criticism becomes something that you really listen to or, or what makes it rise to I know right now a lot of fandom, I mean, we just watched Game of Thrones end with 800,000 armchair showrunners. Um, where, where does the line come where, where you stop and go, maybe we really should address or look back at what we've done or make changes? I think we are constantly doing that. Um, you know, I feel like season one of a show 
is so hard. You're you're creating a world from scratch, and every step of it, every step of the process is challenging. So on some level, you're you know you're trying to find who Sam is, and then who's his best friend, and what is their relationship, and how do you know? It, and a lot of that was in sort of the original script, but then it evolves over the course of it. We're also like, what does the living room look like? What color are the? I mean, you're figuring out all this stuff. So. Sometimes I feel like barely have time to kind of get everything right. You can't get everything right. Season two, that, that was something, having more actors on the spectrum was something we always wanted to do. And there is a character in season one who's an actor on the spectrum, Christopher. And, you know, season two, we're like, okay, we need to do, we need to do more here. We want to do better. We want to, and you, you have time in between seasons to think about that. Sure. And Rabia, who's created the show, we went on a, we walked every day and we talked about it in post. We just constantly are like, how can we improve? How can we make the set a better place? How can we make the environment better? How can we make our schedule better? How can we spend our money more wisely? How can we get more actors who are on the spectrum? How can we just get more involved with the community? And also having something out there in the world for people to see and understand made it easier to find people. So season two, when our casting and even uh, we were out in the world like looking for people, we were getting a lot more responses, so we could sure. find a lot more actors. Season three, it's been even more so, and so what's great is that, and, you know, we get the opportunity to continue to improve, and I think on some level, criticism, some of it you can't listen to, and some of it you can say, like, okay, do I, is that true? Could we do better? Absolutely. But can we have more, should we have more female directors? A hundred percent. Should we have more people on our crew who have disabilities? Should we have, you know, more people from different communities? You just have to be aware of it, and I think and if you're not trying to improve and do better, then you should, you're living in a bubble, because you're also creating work that you want people to see. I mean, you want people to respond to it. So some of that's good, some of that's bad. I think at the end of the day, it has to be true to what you're making. So for Rabia, on some level, like she's going to, she's very receptive to hearing what people think about the show, but she also is very true to what the show is. And so she, you know, I know people want specific things told and we're going to do what's best for the show and these characters because I think we're not trying to please everyone, but if you try that, I think you'll, you'll fail, so yeah. That's great. I think it makes sense that you yeah. have data in season two, right? Like yeah. there's context and history and something to build yeah. off of. Like yeah. That's a good point. You have to start from what the living room sofa looks like, right? I know, and I, I just hope that we get to keep making it and keep going because I think even, you know, we discovered there was an actor who was on the spectrum who auditioned for a very small role this season, um, like a one-line thing, and we watched her and we fell in love with her and she wasn't right for that role thank goodness because Rabia immediately said I need to write a role for her and then like came up with some a character based on this woman and is now in season three and come appears a few times and that kind of thing it's like so she's so special and unique and specific and I love that we get to discover things like that and then you know make adjustments yeah, yeah. organically yeah that's amazing yeah um, I think we're getting the wrap up here okay. so uh, one last question sure. if you don't mind what are you watching what will you be binging on the plane ride home well I binged something on the way here because okay. I had a five-hour delay oh, God. and that was flea bag and oh. I 
Has everybody hail. said that? Amy, I, yeah. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is our new queen. I'm obsessed with it. I, I, and I'm not going to lie, I rewatched the last two episodes the past like couple of nights while I've been at this hotel because I just, I'm blown away. I absolutely love it. Yeah. I don't know what what comes after Fleabag. I don't know. I watched Crashing. I've already seen more episodes. Wait, is there season two? No. Oh. no. Don't get my hopes up. Yeah, Those I've already in their short that. seasons. Yeah, I know. But you know what? It's perfect. The way that this season two ended of Fleabag is perfection. So I think she can improve on season one. That's perfect. Thank Can you I talk so about much. Yes. <laughs> you want to come on a podcast? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And for our final interview, we have the writers of Younger, Joe Murphy and Sarah Choi. Younger's sixth season premieres this month on TV Land. Robin, what did you think of the first episode of season six? Well, Meredith, it was steamy. I love it. Um, It was hot. (laughs) Um, And I really loved it. It kind of jumps right in with all of the stuff you've been um, waiting for and kind of just... All that stuff that you love about the show is right there in episode one, and I can't wait for everyone to see it. I was also able to attend a panel for Younger and um, loved hearing, once again, behind the scenes, skinny. Um, So um, we learned that much like in Veronica Mars, this season will bring some interaction between characters we don't typically get to see on screen together. Ooh, I like that. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, there is um, an interaction, which I cannot talk about just yet Um, but there's an interaction in the first episode um, where two characters are on screen together and they introduce themselves to one another and i think every audience member looked at each other and said wait those two haven't met each other before (laughs) um so there it's funny because that's a show that has so many people kind of swirling around in the same universe and you forget the overlap or the lack thereof so that was an interesting scene that is interesting. Um, I've also been assured we're getting plenty of on-screen time for Charles. He's going to find himself. We're going to find him. We, we're going to find each other. <laughs> Could someone tell me where to shirt find off. him? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, we're excited for that. Um, and um, as I mentioned, there was a great panel featuring Debbie Mazar, who plays Maggie on the show. Yes. Um, and she was just fantastic. I loved one little tidbit that she shared. She is a, an amazing cook. Um, she had a cooking show. She has cookbooks and she talked about um, how they'll have her cooking in a scene on the show um, but there isn't running water or a working kitchen (laughs) (laughs) makes a little challenging so she talked about kind of um, how her chef skills um, clash with the production values (laughs) on the show Um, but that was uh, just a really great panel and a really great way to end the fest Um, and afterwards um, we got to sit down with um, two of the writers from the show um, as we mentioned, Joe Murphy and Sarah Choi, and they shared their thoughts on um, 20-somethings and the importance of found families for that group. I love and, it. Yeah, it was great. It was right up our alley, um, as well as some of the inspiration that they take from the real world of publishing. Here it is. Here we go. So I love the panel and I love the episode. So thank you guys for sharing that and coming to the fest. 
Um, I loved what you said about 20-somethings, um, considering their friends to be their family. Um, we talk a lot, our, our podcast is called My TV Family, so we talk a lot about the intersection of family and television. So um, can you talk a little bit more about um, found families and how, especially again for that age group um, and for that demographic, your friends become kind of your blood? Absolutely. I mean, we sort of experienced that first by being in the writer's room. You know, we spend uh, three months all together pretty intensely in L.A. Uh, Hold up in a room together. Yeah, yeah, Sarah and I live in New are York. the doors locked? Well, the doors are locked. There's no windows. You have to open them up because it gets yeah. very steamy in there. Um, and, and it absolutely becomes our, you know, found family. You know, we, we share our most intimate um, experiences. Yeah, just the nature of the job you have to talk about yourself. Yeah, so you it's, do. You got your, and you want to, because, you know, you want to get, you want your, the storylines you portray on TV to reflect reality, so. Yes. And you can, this is something about if it comes from a real place, that makes it to the screen and it just feels more relatable because sure. it's so specific which you would think if it was more broad and zoomed out that would make it more relatable but it's actually in the, the tiny details. little details that sure. people kind of hook into so yeah, we have a very intensive 12 weeks together we talk about our boyfriends husbands <laughs> wives hookups exes oh. dogs um anything and everything it's like just you open a vein and just bleed out and then hopefully <laughs> the people around you like help mop it up or right. they just laugh and cry and we don't really cry in our room which we i've been in writers rooms where people have cried yeah, yeah we don't cry much i think people will sometimes like tear up and then excuse themselves and go to the bathroom yeah. but <laughs> yeah. you know it's not it's not we don't get there but i think you know you're right like everything is shared down from like from our worst breakup to like what we eat for breakfast every day it's, yeah. it's all there it's, there's it's a lot of food chat there's a lot, a lot of, of yeah. yeah we love to talk food <laughs> So, food and TV, like what we're watching, I think <laughs> is the biggest. So I think that makes it to the screen. Uh, yeah. So I think that's why the friendships between the characters have become so prominent in our storytelling. And then on the flip side, it's funny, the stories that we tell have drawn the cast together. So a lot of them have yeah. become really, really They're tied. They're so close. Like, Hil yeah. like Hilary Duff and, and Molly are like very, very close buddies. So that, like, close. I think Molly's the godmother of her oh, daughter. Really? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's amazing. So, I, I think that as somebody who spent my 20s in New York, when you spend your 20s in New York, even though my family is actually just in New Jersey, I saw them, I see them <laughs> all the time. That's a world away. It really yeah, is. It really is. There's a bridge involved. Um, but you know, you find the people that you want to spend every day with, because New York is such an intense place, and this is obviously reflected on younger. Um, it's such an intense place, especially because all, when you're in your 20s, you're doing, you're going through the slog. You are trying to climb the ladder. You're trying to do your best in your career, and you don't want to come home to nothingness. You know, your friends are your backbone. Your friends support you, and that's something that we try to show on the show because I think without friends, without your female friends especially, to put you up in this like tough, tough, tough city and just the world in general, it's it's a nightmare and you know, that's something I hope that is reflected in the friendships on the show. Oh, I think it very much yeah. is. Well, thank you both for mining your personal lives for <laughs> the sake of the show. You're welcome. It's cheaper than therapy, so. <laughs> that's true. Um, that's great. Um, and can you talk a little bit about, um, I think again, during the panel, you mentioned, um, be careful what you wish for when it comes to the romantic relationship between Liza and Charles. Can you talk a little bit more about, um, keeping it fresh and also, um, setting up some roadblocks for these fan favorite characters? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think 
for a long time we've had this sort of like Liza and Charles like swooning each other across the bullpen <laughs> yeah. and saying these kind of coded things like that's what happens when you get in bed with the 26 year old and like all these sort of like tantalizing will they won't they moments yeah. that you know after a while you kind of tire of because you're like are they going to S or yeah. not? We say S in the room sometimes. I don't know why. It means sex. Um, so I think that, you know, we got an opportunity to finally do that last season. Um, and then uh, now we want to see the sort of like the, the B side of the reality of like, well, now they're dating. What does that mean? But it's not that easy because they're not working together anymore. And, you know, and he's sort of going through his own sort of reinvention of, well, what does he do now that he's not running his family's business? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, look, I think that, you know, we've got stories coming up this season of Liza and Charles finding unexpected ways to keep it hot. Um, I think there are ways that we have done, I think, a pretty good job of rebuilding that tension. Because it's like you were saying, it's like the will they, won't they, the these moments of teasing each other I think is like part of the reason that they're so hot is because of all this sexual tension between them so I feel like now that they're together you're kind of like well what's so interesting about a happy couple yeah exactly like Like just like shacking up there's not if Younger was a rom-com movie it would have ended last season the end of last season before that look came in before that graduate ending happened because that's you know you're like he he gave it all up for her credits roll right. whereas the opportunity with television is we get to say okay so what, what if the credits don't roll yeah. and this starts looking like real life you know we don't want to see them bickering over a kitchen sink like our right. real relationships <laughs> um, I once threw a packet of bacon at my husband um, <laughs> I'm sure he was asking for it <laughs> he was um, but at the same time um, you know we get to sort of like see we also have kind of kept Charles in this sort of like um, what is this man really like outside of the suit not just naked but like outside of the office (laughs) you know who is he really and at the end of last season even Liza said that herself like well you know who is this guy is he funny you know and we get to have some moments where Charles is genuinely very funny and he gets to be put in situations this season that you would never see him in before because we couldn't tell those stories so we get to see him in Maggie's loft Um, we get to see him sort of um, going out to, you know, as, as a couple with Liza out to venues and then you start seeing, well, what is he like to date and what would he be like if they were married? Not saying that happens, but what, what, why did he, him and his marriage with Pauline break up? Like, what, what sides are we going to see to him that Liza's going to be revealed to now that they're officially together? You really get to know him and I, I think that it's sort of like a season one Liza twist on Charles this year. Like, he's a fish out of water now because he is now in her new world. So I feel like just because just he's so tall, too, <laughs> he just looks out of place among, like, Kelsey and Lauren and yeah. Josh. It is jarring, um, yeah. Um, but it's, it's fun. I think people will be really excited to see more of Charles because we don't really... He's been kind of mysterious up till yes. now. Yeah. He wears a nice cable knit sweater yeah. and hopefully yeah. there will be bookshelves. And I think yeah. we project a lot of what we want him to be as well. You know, I think he's a romantic <laughs> he's ideal. He's a fantasy. You know? Yeah. And so, you know, we've played that fantasy, Charles. Now, you know, we've, then we went through his divorce and then we went through his ex-wife being around. 
Yeah. Um, not the end of Pauline, by the way. Ooh. So there's a yeah. tiny little, uh, little tease yeah. for the season. That was a little tease there. A little tease, yeah. a little tease. <laughs> uh, so, look, the thing is, I, what we get to see is Liza really wants their relationship to work. She really has chosen Charles, and but that choice is complicated at every turn because of Kelsey being in Charles's old seat, because Josh now has a baby, because all of her friends, you know, aren't really sure if Liza should be an Upper East Side wife. You yeah. know, there is something that that yeah. if, with Liza being with Charles means that you do potentially threaten younger Liza. It's also so much pressure for somebody to quote unquote give up their company for mm-hmm. yeah. you. So there's a lot on her shoulders right now. With between that and Kelsey being boss, a lot of people are relying on Liza in in ways that she didn't expect yes. before she started dating Charles. She's very much caught yeah. in the middle this year and it's not about her being caught in the middle of keeping the lie a secret, but trying to keep all the people around her you know, they keep their relationships with each other intact. So she plays a lot of sort of like middleman mediating, um, even though it means that very often she herself is losing. Ooh, sounds exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting. Tired. I think yeah. sometimes when we were doing table reads, poor Sutton just like groans out loud. It's like, oh God. Yeah. Like, You're putting her through the ring. Why can't you just let me be happy? Yeah. But there's, no, there's not a great deal of story to be told when someone's just happy. Um, that's fantastic. I love the be careful what you wish for and flipping the script that maybe now Charles is in a little bit of a Liza season one position. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, so um, in addition to being a TV nerd, um, I'm also a book nerd. So can you talk a little bit about some of the ways that you incorporate current trends in literary things? Of course. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, the show is set in publishing, so it would be, it would be, I miss if us if we weren't doing our best to sort of like reflect what's happening in terms of publishing trends and popular books and author and publisher drama. We have a consultant that kind of gives us some juicy stories, but we're all avid readers. And we all sort of, you know, come back in armed with books that we've just read and things that we've been reading about in terms of trends. I mean, this season, trying to think of some of the publishing things we do. We do a book at the beginning of the season called The Glass Cliff. I love that. Yeah, which is all about, um, it's sort of like a, it's like a lean-in style book, which we also have Claw, which we introduced last season. I think last year we, um, we always ask our consultant, like, what are the most popular books right now? Like, what are, and what are publishers buying right now? Mm -hmm. And lately it's been a lot of political stuff. So I feel like Claw's a little bit political, and we had Capital Letters with James Debrow last year. Like that kind of thing. A lot of politics and a lot of gender politics, which makes sense. Um, A lot of uh, books which uh, are all about, um, uh, you know, sort of um, women sort of like trying to have it all, you know? And we've been doing that since day one, so it's very easy for us to like find ways to put that into the show. You have a great one this year, which is the HG TV spinoff. Yeah, we have in a later episode in season six. Um, I feel like everybody I know is obsessed with like DIY and HGTV, yep. so yeah. that kind of comes yeah. in. Yeah, we have like a renovation yeah. couple who are yeah. doing one of their books because they're huge sellers. <laughs> yeah. They're like, it's, like people Insane. are, but also it's less about just about the renovation and more that it's like this this is picture perfect yep. couple that look yeah. like the brand. I mean. If any couple in real life were to renovate a house, it is like, it's just, it's yeah. so destructive. Yeah. Like, as you break that <laughs> house down, suicide. you're also breaking down your, it's like trying yeah. to get through Ikea without having a fight. Impossible. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. impossible. So, um, we have some fun with that in one episode. Um, yeah. And also we, I think we try 
our best to relate the like the book of the episode, quote unquote. I'm doing quotes for people who can't see me, which is all of you. Um, the book of the episode, we try to relate to the overall theme of that episode too. So you know, in the premiere glass cliff, obviously Kelsey is put on that cliff. Yes, right. We have another one which is um, Manners for Millennials, which is sort of like a manners book that was sort of like you know the Emily Post yeah. um, manuals from and 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 it's all about how to treat um, people because you know the generation isn't the most polite of generations like they can be quite blunt online we ghost people we leave them on red as they say and I had to explain that a thousand times (laughs) in my script but you know Liza is struggling with the idea of um, of you know having Josh in her life while her relationship with Charles is thriving and how do you sort of like politely keep that person in your world but also um, don't let lines be blurred I love that. That's uh, I like the tying in the book of the episode to the theme of the episode. That's a little hint for listeners. <laughs> um, okay, I'm sure they already know. Yeah. They're like, oh, that's, that's too on the nose. <laughs> no, it's great. And I think that that glass cliff phenomenon is true, right? Yeah, that's it's real, real. It's a real yes. thing. Yes, a lot of them, I mean, we base them off real books most of the time. I mean, we, we don't really pitch, um, like, entire... I mean, we have pitched books that you know it's sort of like adjusts on like marriage vacation yeah. it's kind of loosely based off eat pray love um the claw is based off lean in um obviously obviously um we have our own game of thrones version yes yeah. Um, which is great yeah. everything's inspired by real yes. life and yeah. when you speak to people in publishing who watch the show they get a real kick out I've of all that. the references i've and heard it, yeah. publishing is a buzz about your show they do love it they wish that they they got to go to as many parties as i, know. I was gonna say <laughs> alternatively people are always asking me like oh my god, do they really like go to that many parties and publishing? I was like, absolutely not. No, and they don't yeah. have those wardrobe budgets ever. Right. No. <laughs> it does not look like that. So many black like sparkly and glitter. Exactly. Like, yeah. Let's be aspirational. Yeah. Aspirational. Yeah. Um, one last question for you. Um, what are you loving on TV right now? What will you be binge watching on the plane ride home? Ooh, I really loved Fleabag season two. It was really yes, great. Life um, changer. So good. I just watched all of Rami and really loved yes. that. Love I thought Rami. that was really great. Um, Noah Mirror was at the fest. He yes. Was great. Oh, well. Um, super excited about Big Little Lies. Yes, yes tonight's was, the night, y'all. Yeah. So funny. I was just watching the pilot last night. I want to watch the season so again. Yeah, it was so great. Um, this isn't a mo- This isn't TV, but I loved Always Be My Baby on Netflix. Yes. So, so good. <laughs> so funny. That was fantastic. Yeah. Keanu Reeves. I mean, Keanu... It is the year of Keanu Reeves. <laughs> it really is. It really God. is. That was fantastic. But the challenge is, like, there's so much great TV on. Yeah. And you get... Too much. Drinking yeah. from a fire hydrant. Yeah. yeah. Do the best you can, team. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much. This was great. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Okay, that wraps up our time at ATX Festival. We had the best time. Um, Thank you for listening. And just a reminder to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MyTVFamilyPod. We'll be back next time with more hot topics, what we're watching, and MyTVFamilyGoodness. Bye. Bye.